Good morning, everyone. We are excited today to go ahead and start our new series called Stan. And we're going to be going over five weeks. The life of Daniel uh, can teach us how to stand up for God. And uh, let's, before we get started, let's go ahead and, and pray for the message this morning. Lord, we say thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that... Uh, Lord, uh, your word transforms and changes us. But Lord, sometimes we got to just give you permission. We just got to say, Lord, we give you permission to come and change us. That it would have a huge effect in the way that we think, the way that we live, and the way that we can bow our hearts before you. So Lord, we just say, Holy Spirit, come and do a good work within us uh, as we hear the word of God. But Lord, more importantly, as we apply it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, today, uh, we're going to be looking at how uh, God used Daniel. Um, we're going to go from the early part of Daniel's life, how he took a stand at an early age for God. And before we get started, you know, at the Alpha course this past um, Wednesday night, and we're nearing the end, we're at seven out of eight weeks. And I know it's it's... It's a, it's a sad thing for the people who are nearing the end. They're like, can't we just keep it going? We're so excited. Can we meet? And yeah, we're hoping people will uh, really feel loved and want to come into the church. Um, first of all, make a decision to follow Christ and then come into the church and get involved with a small group and all that. So please be praying for, for that. Uh, but also, I was thinking about it as Nikki Gumbel. He's the one who gives the talks. He's so contagious. I was watching some of the DVDs yesterday, and he's talking about how he loves being a Christian, how he's so excited about uh, being a Christian, how being a Christian is the, you know, just the best life, isn't it? Can we, can we get an amen to that? Being a Christian is so exciting. Being a Christian is living a life of adventure and faith, and it's not just a normal life. You're filled with hope. Christ fills you with purpose. He fills you with passion. He fills you with forgiveness. Isn't that awesome? We have all of this just treasure chest of things. God living in us. And being a Christian is so awesome. But, you know, sometimes I think it's important that we remind ourselves of these things. You know, you just remind you, wow, who am I in Christ? You know, beyond anything else, you got your business card. You're just a child of God. God, someone who God loves so much that he died for you. And if it goes right to that point, you just isn't that awesome? No matter what's going on in your life, I am loved by God. Wow, that's amazing. And we have to remind ourselves of these things. And sometimes I think it's important to remind ourselves of these things because it's such a hard time. We have such a hard time living and functioning as Christians out in the real world, you know, when we actually leave this place, it's kind of easy at church, right? But when, we, when the rubber meets the road, it's a little bit differently, right? And we live a little bit differently. And we live now in a, what's called a postmodern culture. So we had a church uh, age where there were many people who would call themselves Christians, and there were uh, Christian morals and ethics everywhere, but as you know, it's, we've, we're well past that now. We live in a postmodern culture where you cannot assume that people know the basic stories 
about God. The Bible, biblical stories. What's in the Bible? You don't know even the um, um, Jesus Christ dying for you on the cross, being raised again three days later. Our culture does not know that. They don't understand that. And so you're not coming from that point of view. And so we live in a totally postmodern culture where it's difficult and becoming increasingly difficult. Would you say so? Yes, increasingly difficult to live as a Christian. And sometimes we feel like a Daniel, don't we? We feel like we've been taken out of our land and stuck in a foreign land. And that's okay. Christian, you're supposed to feel like that because the Bible says you are aliens and foreigners in a strange land, right? Our true home is where? Heaven, right? Our true home is heaven. And once you've been born again, new creation, all of a sudden you're starting to look around and say, oh, this place is looking more foreign to me every day. And that's okay. But we have to figure out how are we going to live to give God glory and to be effective in this strange and foreign land that we find ourselves in. And sometimes it's good to do a spiritual inventory. Sometimes we have to stop and say, you know, I got to check my heart. I got to check to see, am I growing as a Christian to be more like Jesus Christ? Am I loving like Jesus loved and have a heart for the lost? Do I really love God and His Word? Do I love to be and spend time? And you know, as, you, as I'm speaking, I want you to be thinking about asking yourselves these questions. And it's okay if you're not hitting a number 10 and perfect. That's right, because none of us are perfect, but we're hopefully growing. And it's good to take a spiritual inventory of where you're at. And another question it's good to ask of ourselves is, do I encounter any resistance at all? for being a Christian? Ask yourself that question. Do I encounter any resistance at all? And you know, I think if we were to answer that no, then that's probably not so much where we want to be. I think, I think it's a good thing that we encounter some resistance throughout our lives, throughout our daily normal life, for being a Christian. Why? Because that means that we're kind of rubbing shoulders we're in the world, but not of the world. We're like Jesus, being out there, encountering some resistance for our faith. Because why? Our faith goes, flies right in the face of this strange and foreign land. So, as our society is becoming more and more anti-Christian, or anti-Christ, it's not becoming more anti-Buddhist, it's not becoming more anti-Muslim, it's not becoming more anti-God even. It's becoming more anti-Christ, anti-Christian. And so we're going to have to figure out a way that Christian, you can take a stand in this world. Christian, it's time for you to stand up in this dark and lost world. God is saying, I want you to stand. So over the next five weeks, I think this is going to be a really important series for us because sometimes... It's easy to want to just take it easy and blend in. And God is saying, no, 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 I want you to stand up. And so this morning we're going to look at the life of Daniel. And if you have a Bible, please turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. We're going to start right at the beginning. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. So, let me start. 
In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Oh, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. Ouch. Then he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put the treasure house of his God. So in 735, just give us a little bit of background. Uh, Israel was totally disobedient, worshiping other false gods, idols. And they were judgment came from God upon the northern kingdom of Israel. And so you had the northern kingdom invaded by the country of Assyria, the kingdom of Assyria. So they came and over a certain conquest and they would drag off the best and the brightest. It's like a relocation thing. And so they took them off to the kingdom of Assyria. Kingdom of Assyria is modern day, right where you, this is really sad to say the ISIS is right now. You know, you have western uh, Syria, then you have southern Turkey, northern Iraq, that whole area right now where they're setting up the caliphate. So this is right where Assyria, kingdom of Assyria was. 735, they took off, they leveled Jerusalem, uh, northern kingdom, Samaria, and they took off the best and brightest. Okay, So that's 735. 130 years later, in uh, 605 BC, you have the conquest by the Babylonians. So first was the Assyrians, and then God's people didn't learn the lesson the first time. Still worshiping false gods. Kind of like what's happening right now in our nation. Turn their back on God. And God's judgment came upon them. You see the yellow took them to Babylon. Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon is Iraq. That's pretty much like 50 miles um, away from the city of Baghdad right now. And so you see... um, Daniel was part of that. They took, and you have the Jewish people, the Hebrews, all over that area. So not just in Samaria and Jerusalem now, in Israel. They're spread out all over the kingdom of Syria, all over Babylon. And Daniel was part of that group. And Daniel was probably 14 years old at this time. Just a teenager. So Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylons, they destroyed in the... Babylonian captivity, exile, Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. They took all the articles, the holy articles from the temple, and they set it up in the uh, temple of the Babylonian gods. And this is not the end of it. They destroyed their past, their city, but they're also trying to destroy their future. So what do they do? They take the best and the brightest, and they try to indoctrinate them. So Daniel verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3 says, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, we'll call him Ash, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them to a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. They worked strategically, didn't they? To indoctrinate the smartest, best, and brightest of Israel's leaders. 
Number one, how can you stand up for God in the world that we live in? Number one, the enemy wants you to blend in. The enemy wants you to blend in with the world's ways. We have to recognize that. So indoctrination of the best and brightest leaders was a smart, smart tactic. And the enemy still uses that tactic today. He still uses that tactic. They try to help them to blend into the culture of the Babylonians. Indoctrinate them. So, how many of you have seen the movie God's Not Dead? Okay, a fair amount of us. That's awesome. I just saw the movie Woodlawn recently, a few nights ago. I think I liked it a lot more than my family because, you know, we, they said, yeah, it was good, Dad, but you must have really liked it. Yeah, it had faith, family, and football. Okay? So I was like on the edge of my seat there, and I was loving it. Vanessa could tell. And she's like, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. But I was like, yeah, this is right up my alley. So we, these Christian movies, you know, um, you have The War Room. If you haven't seen The War Room, please go see that. And uh, Woodlawn, of course, but God's Not Dead. What a great movie talking about the persecution that these college kids feel nowadays. They're in the classroom, and, you know, so many of our uh, high school students, when they leave to go to college, they go to a secular university where everybody there is like, Oh, there's no such thing. God's dead. There's no such You believe in Jesus? Ha, ha, ha. What a joke. And so they go to these campuses and they get totally ostracized and indoctrinated. You guys see what's happening here? And so they leave a Christian. They come back. Oh, mom, dad, come on. Get real. It happens all the time. So this, I'm so happy this movie was made where the kid, he goes into a philosophy class and the professor, first thing he has them do is they have to write down, God is dead. And this guy's a Christian. He's like, I can't do it. And he said, well, if you don't write it down, then sorry, you're not going to pass this class. And he says, well, I'm going to prove to you that God is alive. God's not dead. And so he has to... Uh, go through a series of teachings in front of the whole class about how God is not dead. And it's just awesome to see that. Check out that movie if you haven't seen it. And I love that movie even more because when I was going to UH, I was in the political science department. And in the political science department, oh, at UH, talk about God being dead. It, it is that... It, there's a lot of persecution going on. Okay? And so you... I became a Christian when I was going to UH and I was so excited about Jesus and just praying and well, wanting my classmates, wanting uh, you know, just to see God do something great there on campus. And in my political science uh, class, we had this professor, first day of class, gives us his manifesto about how the world is going to be taken over by cyborgs. And like Terminator, I said, why would I want to read this? I already saw Terminator. Okay, so he's, he's telling us all about, and he, he would always make these comments about how God is not real and Jesus is whatever. And so one day he went around the class and he had a thing where you had to name your hero in history. Right? And guess who I said, right? So I say, yes, Jesus Christ. And he laughs out loud. And I, 
Don't know for sure, but I think he just did this just, just for this exercise. And just to wait for me to say it. And because he knew I would say it. So I said, Jesus Christ. And he laughed from the front of the class. Ha, 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 ha. Like prolonged laughter. <laughs> and he had some snickers in the class. And they're looking at me. And then this one girl sitting a few seats down goes, I was like, okay, got one, one more in here, yeah. <laughs> and he says, Max, I was once young and naive too. He said a few other things I can't remember, but I remember he said that. And then at the end of the class, you know, um, I, I think he was really like marking my grades bad and everything. I'm serious, I would get like C's. And it, I thought it was A work, okay, I don't want to, but I, I think it was better than C, you know, I, I really think it was. And so I go and I'm like, I got to turn in my paper. And so I turn in my paper at the end of the year and it's just me and him in the class, okay? Ooh, I'm kind of scared. I walk in and I feel like the hair on the back of my neck kind of go up. And he, as I'm handing the paper, he doesn't just say thank you. He gives me a lecture about how he was once training for the ministry in the Catholic Church. And then he realized that uh, it was all false. And he hopes that one day all my eyes will be opened and everything. And you know, as I was talking with him, it was like, I don't want to overdo it, but it was like talking to, a, to the enemy. Okay? It was really like, man. And so these are the kind of things. And you see at the end of the movie, God's Not Dead. You'll see all these statistics and cases, and these are just the ones reported of all these uh, college students who are uh, really coming against a, a lot of hardship on college campuses, especially with their professors. Okay, so it's a public university. A lot of times, too, you know, you can't talk about Jesus, but you can talk about how much Jesus is false. Okay, so it would have been so much easier say all that to say it would have been so much easier for me to just what. Blend in. Right? It would have been so much easier. So many times as Christians, we just want to, okay, I'm not going to stick out. I just don't want to make a fool of myself and be like a Jesus freak or a holy roller or something. So I'm just not going to say anything, right? So, are you, when you get the opportunity, going to blend in or stand out for God? Stand out for Jesus. When someone asks you to stop bringing your faith to work, Maybe as a teacher, maybe as a doctor, maybe as an attorney, maybe as a government worker. When somebody asks you to stop bringing God to work, what will you do? Will you blend in? Will you stand out? How can you be ready to stand out for God? Number two, you can write in your notes, be spiritually prepared. Number two, be spiritually prepared. Do you know that there's an enemy out there who doesn't want you to stand out. He wants you to blend in. He wants to indoctrinate our best and our brightest, all of us. Whether you know it or not, you are in a spiritual battle right now, yes, even right now, and are under attack. Are under attack. The Bible says that the devil is real. We just went over this in Alpha last time, right? talking about evil and the devil and how can we overcome evil the devil is real the bible says the devil is a real uh, person the devil has tactics 
strategies against you. And if he can have you blend in, that's great. But guess what? He wants to take it one step further. He wants to take it one step further. His mission, the Bible says, is to steal and to kill and to destroy you. He doesn't care how old you are. He doesn't care how rich or poor you are. He doesn't care what you look like, what you've been through. If you're a little baby there, he will steal, kill, and destroy you. Hey, I talked about, um, uh, there was a, a friend of mine, and he, he was teaching me about spiritual warfare a lot. And his son was just a little, little baby, and uh, he would cry and have like these night terrors, just a, a, like a little baby toddler. And he would have to go over there and he would pray for his son. And when he would pray for his son, the son would stop crying. And he really sensed that the baby, the toddler, was under spiritual attack. And he used that to, to point out, he doesn't care what you, how old you are. His mission is to kill that baby. See, I think a lot of times we don't know the enemy's tactics. We underestimate the enemy's tactics. And we're thinking, oh yeah, he wouldn't do that. Oh, I'm sure he's that person. And I don't like it when people say, well, I'm not that much of a Christian. I'm not so, you know, like a Jesus freak and so into it. When I get closer to God, I'm going to get spiritually attacked. I don't subscribe to that theory at all. The enemy's mission is to steal, kill, and destroy you whether or not you're a strong Christian or not. If you're sitting on the sidelines and you're blending into the culture, he's not fine with just leaving you there. Look around the world. He's going to take every single person he can down to hell that he can take. Okay? So it doesn't matter if we're sitting on the sidelines or in the game. I'd much rather get in the game and get spiritually prepared. Amen? So, spiritual warfare is real. The tactics against the enemy are strategic, and they have real consequences in our lives. Yes, even as Christians. So how do you get spiritually prepared? The Bible is so awesome. It says, put on the full armor of God. God gives us an answer. You can turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13. Ephesians chapter 6, 10 to 13 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, that's whenever you encounter evil, when the day of evil comes, you may, able to, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand... Wow, I love that. Everything to stand. So God is giving us instructions. God is giving us instructions how to do spiritual warfare. How to be spiritually prepared. And do you notice how many times he, the, the word stand is used? Stand, stand, stand. You are in a spiritual battle. And the devil wants to knock you down and worse. And keep you down and take you down. And God is saying, don't stay down, stand up, stand out. God wants you to be spiritually prepared so you can take your stand against who? Against the enemy. We've got to be well-versed in spiritual warfare, people. We've got to be well-versed in it. First is understanding there's an enemy out there. Second is understanding his strategies. And we see what he was doing to Daniel. Okay? 
So who is our enemy? Is our enemy our boss? <laughs> is our enemy our coworkers that are giving us a hard time? Is it our family members or friends who giving, have really burned us, hurt us? No. Is the enemy the media, uh, other forces out there, other people out there that are coming against Christians nowadays? No. Our enemy, the Bible says, is spiritual, right? We have to take our stand against the devil, against spiritual rulers, against spiritual authorities, and against spiritual powers. There's things that we cannot see, a spiritual realm, and if our eyes were open, we would look around and we'd be like, whoa, this is crazy, right? And so we, we can't see it. But we know the Bible says there's spiritual rulers, powers, and authorities. And that's strategic, and that's in certain locations and certain things. You ever walk into a certain part of the earth when you're traveling, a third world country that's really under spiritual darkness and feel the spiritual oppression right away? You even feel it certain places here. Like I felt it in that room, in my professor's room. Okay? There's, the enemy is strategic. So, what is the armor of God we're to put on? Going, moving forward, Ephesians 6, 14 through 17. 14 through 17. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Wow. So the belt of truth. What is the belt of truth? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. We have the belt of truth. Keep Jesus with you. Know that who you are. Remember we started off the sermon. Who are you in Christ? Jesus has come and saved you. You got that around? That's going to hold all the rest of your armor up. The belt would hold everything else up. Belt of truth. You have Jesus holding everything in place. The breastplate of righteousness. What is that? Being Having a right relationship with God. Keep your relationship with God close. Keep your relationship with others close. Breastplate of righteousness over your heart. You mess up, you just say, God, I'm sorry. Come before you. I messed up yesterday, big time with my family, with Vanessa. And I wake up and I have to just say, Vanessa, I'm sorry. I'm a big mess up. Your husband is a work in progress. I'm sorry again. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> this is so embarrassed. <laughs> keep, <laughs> keep that relationship with God. You're righteous. Be righteous before God. All it is is say, I messed up quick to say I'm sorry to God. I receive your forgiveness. Messed up with somebody else. I'm sorry, Susan. I messed up. You know, I've I just been at the office too late tonight. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to come back earlier. Forgive me. Okay? Feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. What is that? Get out there and preach the good news. Is your, are your feet ready? Are your feet secure? Are they protected? Are they out there or, and serving and doing and loving? You can't, can't sit down and just stay where you're at. Blend in. No, we got to get out there. The Bible says go. Right? Tell somebody about the good news of Jesus. 
shield of faith. The devil, your enemy, is going to throw things at you. Fiery darts, the Bible says. They're not only going to hurt, they can kill. You need the shield of faith to protect you. The shield of faith comes in all the difficult times when you're tempted. All those temptations that come at you every day, you need that shield of faith. You know what? I'm a Christian. The devil can't do this to me. I put up my shield of faith. He's, I'm getting all these things, zinger, zinger from this, this thing, this. You know what? Just put up your shield of faith. Okay? Helmet of salvation. Every temptation that is acted upon starts in the what? Mind. You see what happened to David, right? Temptation comes, then you act it out. When you're thinking about it, then you do it. Okay? You've got to put on the helmet of salvation. Okay? I am a child of God. I am saved. Jesus, I'm not going to stoop that low, devil. Sorry, I have the helmet of salvation. See, you thinking about, go through the motions sometime. Go through this in Ephesians. Say, I'm going to put on the feet fitted with the readiness, the gospel of peace. Okay, I'm going to put on the helmet of salvation. What does that mean? Go through it, okay? Finally, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Bible, the Word of God. This is the only offensive weapon in the list of the armor of God. Right? God wants you to use the sword of the Spirit. Use it on the enemy. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, the devil tried to come and tempt him. Right? What did Jesus do? He used the Word of God. He used the Bible. He threw back Scripture in his face. It's okay. You don't know that much Scripture. That's all right. Learn a few main ones. Remember the armor of God. Hey, devil's coming at you. Sorry. I'm just going to use the Word of God on you. I know who I am in Christ. Okay? Use this. Get to know it. Love it. Start to study it more. Not just read it, but study it. Take it to heart. Use the sword of the Spirit when the enemy comes in and tries to attack. So number one, don't blend in. Stand out for God. Number two, don't be scared. Be prepared. Right, Tyson? Put on the full armor of God. Don't be scared. Be prepared. Got to put on that armor. Number three, Resolve to stand for God. Number three, resolve to stand for God. Daniel chapter 1 verse 6. Going back to the story of Daniel. Okay, among those who were chosen were some from Judah. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile, defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. So notice, you're looking at all these funky names, right? Okay, what are all these names about? The Babylonians did this as a strategy, right? Change their name. Sorry, you're a... Like they would do, remember, uh, you go into a concentration camp, they give you a number. Same thing. You're changing the name. You're stripping them of their whole identity. Your new name, Daniel, which means in Hebrew, God is my judge. Your new name, Babylonian name, Belshazzar, which means Bel protects his life. Bel is one of the Babylonian deities, gods. Okay, so they're replacing the Hebrew name with the Babylonian name. And... For the other three, you see, they had all names associated with the names of God too. The one true living God. But they replaced the names with the Babylonian deities' names. Okay? 
So you're in a foreign land. You're a teenager. These four guys are teenagers, probably 14, 15 years old now. Okay? And this is who they would draw for the civil service. And they would try to do like a re-education program on them. And uh, they would get out and be about 17, 18 years old. They were told, forget who you are. Forget the God you used to worship. This is a new system. This is a new way. Some would go along with it, right? Many, but did Daniel and his friends? No, Daniel and his friends were different. They resolved to stand out for God. They were given the choicest food to eat at the king's table, which sounds like a pretty good deal if you ask me, right? If you could eat the king's food, you were, man, that's a, that would be a huge temptation, right? For any of us, we would, okay, you can have a buffet every day. You got to, you know, eat all this. Everybody else is eating like what? scraps and you're eating off the king's table no but for a hebrew they couldn't eat some of those foods there was a lot of the foods was dedicated to babylonian gods and idols so no way so why did they accept the name change right okay call me what was it belshazzar bell protects his life but you're not going to eat the food from the king's table what, what's, what's going on? Why did Daniel do one and not the other? Well, it's all about what's okay with God and what isn't. Daniel and his friends knew who they were. The name change was fine. In fact, I've seen other studies where you had Daniel. He's wearing makeup. And back in those days, you had the guys, they would, for the court, they would, they dyed their hair bright red. Lipstick, facial makeup, all kind of weird stuff, okay? I don't know if that's accurate, so that's just throw it out there, Okay. I was wondering myself, but we're talking about, it's okay, the name change and whatever outer things is okay. But God said you cannot, sorry, you cannot be defiled in this way by eating this food. Do you see? We got to figure out being in the world, but not of the world. And as a pastor, my prayer is that you would be able to gain a lot of knowledge. You'd be able to say, God, is this okay to do this out here in society? But I can't do this. I'm not going to go there. You've got to make a decision and say, I'm going to resolve not to do certain things. For example, I went to a Hongwanji, what is it, the, um, the dance? Bone dance, thank you. Oh, man. So, bone dance. For me, that was a hard one. I don't know if I can participate in this. Number one, I'm not Japanese, so I feel a little bit like an outsider. <laughs> and I'm going and... And next thing you know, I'm dancing. I'm doing the... You know, and it's like fun. And everybody's doing it together. You got little kids, you got old people, and we're all having fun. And I'm wondering, as a Christian, am I supposed to be doing that? Okay? Am I supposed to be doing that? And so you really have to check and you have to ask, does this line up with what the Bible says? And in every area of your life, from watching a movie, get on Netflix, oh yeah, read it art, no big deal. Oh, some sexual content, ah, what's the big deal? Okay, you know, you go through all this, you know, Game of Thrones for some of you guys. Okay, I don't know. I never watched it, but some people told me in this church. And he said, this graphic nudity. And there's a lot of other stuff out there. And Christian, 
you got to be able to say, is this okay with God? Okay according to the Bible. And we have to start to learn that. And if you've been so desensitized and you know what? You're just blending in. You have no resolve. You're not resolved to make a stand in any place. Then you, today's your opportunity to do that. Today's opportunity to do that. But it doesn't mean we retreat from the world and say, sorry, I'm just not going to do anything that's not of church. No. You get in the world like Jesus did and you're in the world but you're not of the world. Do you see what I'm saying? You've got to be like Daniel and his friends. And so they resolve to take a stand for God. Number four, stand out and others will see God in you. Stand out and you are going to be making a huge difference for God and people are going to see that because people can see others who stand out from the crowd and God wants to help you to stand out from the crowd and he wants to see his glory in you so Daniel chapter 1 verse 9 finishing up our scripture here now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel but the official told Daniel I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink why should he see you looking worse than the other man your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servant for ten days. Good idea, right? What a good idea. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. It's like the Daniel plan. Remember that? I fell off the wagon long ago. <laughs> Got to get back on. Okay, verse 13. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with that you see. 14. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the time, verse 18, at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. They come before the king now. What is the king going to say? The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Others will see God in you as you take a stand. Others will see. Do you believe that? Do you really believe God is going to use you and He's going to shine His light through you when you take a stand for God? You've got to be walking in faith and believe that. Otherwise, you're never going to be expecting it and you're just going to be caught off guard. You're not even going to want that. Want it. God, shine through me. I want to stand up for you. And when I do, I know you're going to come through. You know, there's a cool story going on right now in Major League Baseball. His name is, just like we're reading, Daniel. Daniel Murphy has been lighting it up. He's taking the New York Mets to the World Series. They're starting on Tuesday against the Kansas City Royals. Daniel Murphy is the second baseman for the Mets. Okay, he came into the league a few years ago, and ever since then, he's been an outspoken person of faith, person of Jesus. Okay? And he's taken some courageous stands already in his short time in the major leagues for Jesus. And... In this playoff series, leading up to World Series, Daniel Murphy has gone on a tear nobody has ever seen before. It's a historic run. 
Okay? Dan, not even Daniel Murphy can believe it. What's going on? Okay? He's hit home run after home run after home run. The most home runs. Yeah, I think he hit in six straight games. And seven out of nine games. And to off the best pitchers in the league. Sorry, Clayton Kershaw, Zach Greinke, uh, Arietta, all these, like, the biggest names. And he's just hitting these home runs. And everybody is just going out of their minds. And when they asked him in the, after the game, wow, how did you remain so calm? How did you do it? Guess who he gave credit to? He said, I want to thank the Holy Spirit. Woo! You don't hear that a lot, right? And Jesus. That's awesome. He took a stand for Jesus. And there were people in the media instantly, right? On all these blogs and everything. He shouldn't say that kind of thing. Can he keep his faith to himself? Doesn't he know? Why do these guys always have to talk about God? Okay? So he got a lot of flack for that. And he's always giving praise to his teammates. He's always giving praise to God. It's amazing. Others will see God in you when you take a stand for him. 